Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Those famous words from John chapter 8 have been, have been used across the centuries by both religious and non-religious people alike. And perhaps the most, uh, the most striking modern example of this is found here. Does anybody know where this is? I don't know if you can all see it. This is the library at the University of Texas in Austin. Above the archways, above the main doors that are leading in, you will find John chapter 8. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But it was actually never supposed to be up there. In fact, William, William Battle, the, the faculty building chair, suggested something completely different to be up there. He said, the records from our past will give light and courage to those that come after it. That's what he wanted above the, the door of this library. And as you can imagine, that mouthful of words really didn't go over too well, kind of like a lead balloon with the rest of the faculty building committee. The faculty building committee, they suggested a, a myriad of other options because what William Battle suggested was far too wordy. It was too hard to understand. It had a very strange uh, metaphor in it. And so one of the things that the building committee suggested was, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But as you can imagine, because it wasn't William Battle's suggestion, he didn't really like it very much. And he did what most men do, I would say. Right? Like, ladies, you who are married here today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You propose an idea to your husband, and he shoots it down as a bad idea because it wasn't his own, but only later on to come back to you with the same idea, praising it like it's the best thing since sliced bread because he's the one who came up with it. Right? Have you ever had this happen, wives? You know what I'm talking about? This is exactly what William Battle does. He didn't want, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free to be up on top of this library initially because it wasn't his idea. But when it came time to vote for what should be inscribed in this library until the building falls, what do you know? This option was on there. And in fact, he denoted that uh, he tipped his hand by saying that this is the better option of the three that were on there. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. What I find absolutely fascinating about this, about this inscription on the University of Austin Library is the fact that, or the University of Texas Library, is the fact that it's found on a library in the heart of one of the most liberal colleges in the United States, in the heart of one of the most liberal cities. They have a scripture passage painted right across the top of their library. But nowhere will you find scripture reference, nowhere will you find John 8.32 inscribed. And so it begs the question, what truth do they want you to know? And what truth is it that will actually set you free? You and I live in a world where it's increasingly, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to determine what is truth and what is a lie, what is fact, what is fiction. And it only takes a, a cursory look at your news feed, wherever you get your news. And you'll, you'll probably find three or four different articles talking about the same exact event. And each one puts a little bit different of a spin on it. So which one is true? You couple this with the fact that well, we're, we're engrossed in a world that's still suffering from the effects of postmodernism. The fact that uh, postmodernism has largely strangled the idea of objective, absolute truth. Because the tenets of postmodernism say that, that nobody, not even God or scripture, can determine what truth is. Only you can determine what truth is for yourself. And it's based on a subjective reality and subjective feeling. This is the truth that humanity clings to. So it begs the question, what is 
truth. It's a question that, that many have anguished over over the centuries, including a man named Martin Luther. In the early 1500s, Luther was, was struggling to find truth, was struggling to rediscover what truth actually was. So on October 31st, 1517, Luther went up to the, the castle church doors in Wittenberg. This would be like the, the town announcement center, basically. Went up to the castle church doors in Wittenberg, and he took a piece of paper that's, that had 95 theses written across the top, and he nailed it to the church door. And his idea, it wasn't to be polemical. It wasn't to start a fight. It wasn't even to spark the Reformation. Instead, what Luther wanted to do was just to have a debate for where he thought that the church had strayed from the truth. His main concern was simply to answer the question, what is truth? And in fact, that's noted, but if you look at what he says on the top of the 95 Theses, this is how he starts his document. He says, out of love for the truth and from a desire to illuminate it. And then he goes on. What is truth? Where do we find truth in a world that is reeling to discover it? And today, in, as we celebrate the, the reformation of the church, you and I get a chance to marvel at and wrestle with the fact that in spite of what our sinful nature says, in spite of what the world will try to convince us of, that there is, in fact, absolute truth. That there is objective truth, and it's found in God and in his word. And it's this very truth that will really and truly set you free. John chapter 8 is the, is the sermon text for this morning. And in John chapter 8, Jesus is once again dealing with those pesky Pharisees, those ones who keep popping up over and over and over again. And these Pharisees, this time, they are, they are questioning the authority with which Jesus is teaching. They want to know where he got this authority to not only teach and to preach, but also to perform miracles. Jesus, where did you get this authority? Well, Jesus answers with absolute truth and very objectively. He says, well, it came from God. But Jesus doesn't stop teaching and preaching once he gives that answer. He keeps on going, and John clues us into something really quite stunning. He says that uh, as Jesus continued to speak, many put their faith in him. Many put their faith in the one who spoke truth. And so Jesus, speaking to those ones who had put their faith in him, and undoubtedly to the ones who had not yet believed in him, were standing there right alongside he says, he says, you will be my disciples if you hold to the truth. And the truth will set you free. You have to remember the context of these words. Jesus, uh, when he showed up to set free these Jews, their religious lifestyle, their whole religious life was based around law. All of it. They had spent their entire life burdened by the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law and the, the scribes. They had taken that, they had made it their job to burden their hearts and their consciences with all of the demands that the law can throw at them. Not only the demands of the Ten Commandments, but also the demands of the man-made laws that they had, uh, that they had created to protect themselves from breaking the Ten Commandments. And this is, this is the life, and this is the life they were living. This is the truth that they were clinging to. And they were so burdened that they wondered if they would ever be able to get out of this. Get out from underneath these burdens and these demands. And so when Jesus shows up and says, the truth will set you free. When he announces to them that there is in fact freedom from the demands of the law, that there is freedom here for you. When he actually really and truly frees them, what do you think their reaction was? You'd expect them to be elated, right? You'd expect them to rejoice over this freedom that they've never known. But instead, what do they do? They make a claim to a bloodline. 
They said, we have Abraham as our father. We have never been slaves to anybody. So how in all the world can you tell us that, that we are going to be set free? These Jews, they were, they were doing something that they, that they did all too often. You see, going back to Abraham as their father was a, was a phrase and kind of an excuse that they had eventually worn out because they used it way too much. They said, Jesus, we've never been slaves to anybody. And to prove it, go all the way back to Abraham. This is our bloodline. This is our claim. And God said of Abraham, the one who is our father, he said, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That same righteousness is credited to us by the fact that we are descended from him. And they thought that the faith of Abraham was, they thought faith in Abraham was enough to make them right before God. Jesus, we've never been slaves to anybody. But they were wrong. Because not only were they forgetting about that whole 400 years in Egypt business, where they were enslaved by the Egyptians, but they were also forgetting about a far more sinister kind of slavery, one that they didn't even think about. And it's a truth, an absolute truth that they needed to hear. Jesus said, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. And his message to those Jews that day was that sin is very real and its effects are very real. And there is no way for you on your own to free yourself from this slavery that you are held in. Because everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And what is a slave? It's somebody who is forced to work for their master and can only do what their master says and nothing else. The master says, do this and you do it. The master says, jump and you say, how high? There is no freedom. And this is how Jesus describes what it's like for a person to be a sinner. He describes them as a slave. And that's not really palatable for 21st century America, is it? To call somebody a slave? Because what does the world say about sin or, or even on a broader scale, what, what does the world say about things that are bad for you, things that are right for you and things that are wrong for you? Well, they'll say that the whole concept of sin in Scripture, it's antiquated. There's no way that it, it can apply to you and to you and to you in the 21st century because that was, that was first century Middle Eastern Judaism can't apply to us. They will say that those who, that, that determining what is right and what is wrong for you, that whole power lies with you and with you alone. God can't tell you. Scripture can't tell you. I as a pastor can't tell you. You have to determine it for yourself. And it's all based on how you're feeling that day. This is the truth that humanity clings to. What is God's truth? What is God's absolute objective truth about sin? That every single person in this room, every single person born in this world, except one, is a slave to sin. You are born into this world with a, with a nature that is completely hostile to God, that wants to do everything opposite of what God actually wants. And it's this sin that lives inside of your heart that you are a slave to. It's this sin that is your master. I want you to think about and think very deeply and honestly about this. I want you to, to examine your own heart and I want you to find that really deep and dark place that exists there. That one that you don't want anybody to exist. The one that you would be ashamed of if people knew that it exists. Because deep in that dark recessed corner of your heart, there exists sin. And there's probably one sin that you struggle with more than any other sin in your life. 
And it's from that dark recesses of that corner that that sin springs forward. And it's that sin who is your master. And when your master tells you to do something, you listen, don't you? Because, oh, the call of your master, it's so tempting, it's so salacious, it, it promises you that if you do this thing that you know is wrong, that God tells you is wrong, if you do it, then it'll make you feel good, even if it's just for an instant. And you don't want to do it, right? But when your master speaks, you listen. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, Jesus says. It's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, he talks about it like this. He says, he says, the good I want to do, I do not do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Paul recognizes this struggle, the very fact that even though he is declared not guilty of his sin by God, and it's an absolute truth, he has to wrestle with another absolute truth, the fact that he is still a sinner and that if left on his own, sin would only be or would be his only master. This is truth. This is absolute truth. It is God's truth about sin. And this is what caused a man named Martin Luther to have such a crisis of faith and of conscience. Because as a monk, uh, before Luther became the great reformer, he was a monk. And as a monk, he was taught three things. He was taught that he was a sinner. He was taught that God hates sin. And he was taught that there had to be a way for him to pay for that sin. And boy, did Luther try, but he realized the more that he tried, the more he ended up in this deep downward spiritual depression because no matter what he could offer up to God, it wasn't enough. He would starve himself, he would beat himself, he would deprive himself of sleep. And yet at the end of the day, he would still always end up in one place. He would end up as a slave to sin. You couple this with the fact that the church was teaching this really dangerous works righteousness, this works-centered religion that said, well, there's a way in which you can appease God. There's a way in which you can uh, satisfy the wrath of God, and it's by simply living a life that's filled with good works. And you better believe that Luther tried. Absolutely he tried, but the only place that these good works left him, left him was with this nagging question hanging over his head, did I do enough, and is the, the good that I did this day, is it actually satisfying the wrath of God? This was the truth the church was teaching at Luther's time. But it turns out it was a very subjective, man-made interpretation of what God's truth actually is. And so this sin-burdened, uh, conscience-stricken man, Martin Luther, he, he went back to try to discover the truth and answer the question, what is truth? But he didn't run to pope and to council and to churches. He ran back to the one source of absolute truth. He ran back to scripture and there in scripture over and over again, he kept coming across this phrase, the righteousness of God. And until he, until he discovered what it truly meant, Luther had this idea that the righteousness of God, it was the wrath that God had against him for being a sinner. It was a wrath that never could be satisfied. But every time that Luther returned to a book called Romans, maybe a book you're all familiar with. Every time he turned to the book of Romans, do you know what he'd find? That the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is not the wrath of God, but it is the only thing that can actually and truly free you from the slavery that sin holds you in. He discovered that the righteousness of God is the only thing that can cover up sin. He discovered that the righteousness of God, this righteousness is Christ's holy life, his perfect death, the blood that he shed for you. This is the very thing 
the only thing that can really and truly set you free from the slavery you are held in. Because when, G- when Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again for you, it was God's seal of approval that you are no longer a slave to sin because his death rendered Satan powerless. His death destroyed sin without a shadow of a doubt. And so now you are no longer a slave, but you are a son and a daughter. And unlike a slave who has no place in the family at all, a son and a daughter belongs to it forever. This means for you, this means for you that you are God's righteous and holy child. This means that you are an heir to all of the glory and the riches and the eternity that is God's kingdom. It means without a shadow of a doubt that you have a place, a home in heaven waiting for you that absolutely nobody can take from you. Because you are a son and a daughter who has been set free. And because you have been set free from sin, God actually says, I've enabled you to say no to the very thing that seeks to enslave you and say yes to me. God says to you, because you are his son and daughter, there is no need to fear the power that Satan once had to accuse you of all of your sin because I have defeated him. And the Apostle Paul, he talks about this beautifully in the beginning of our second reading today. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be burdened again. You and I are burdened by a number of things, by a myriad of things, whether it's the pressure of this life or it's that sin that flows from the darkness of your heart or it's, or it's uh, some man-made idea of what truth actually is. Whatever is burdening you, Paul says to throw it away. He says to leave it behind because Christ has in fact and indeed set you free. This is the truth that sets you free. This is the truth that Luther rediscovered during the Reformation. And all of, these, uh, all of the truths that Luther rediscovered during the Reformation can be summed up in one word. Alone. You are saved by grace alone. God's arrow pointing down love for you that caused him to move heaven and earth to send his son to die for you. You are saved in Christ alone. The very fact that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again to give you the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. You are saved through faith alone. It's through this faith that God works through his powerful and mighty word through which he gives you everything that his son won for you. You are saved on the basis of Scripture alone. Because it is only in Scripture that God's powerful, absolute, pure truth can be found. This is what Luther rediscovered. This is why we are here today. Because we are proud to call ourselves Lutherans. Because we believe we are saved by grace, in Christ, through faith, on the basis of Scripture. This, these are the truths that will set you free. God grant it. Amen.